there has been so much that this pandemic has taken from us. I'm sure each of you could name numerous things in your life that has been disrupted or canceled in the last year. But this way, I've, this week, I've been thinking about one thing in particular that binds together all of, or at least so many of those canceled experiences, and that's the table. Think about it for just a moment. And just about every celebration that was canceled and every holiday gathering that didn't quite happen, even in every lonely Super Bowl party <laughs> or every friendship get-together that has been put on pause, a table would have been a central place where we were gathering and connecting with one another. Food and beverages are almost always prepared at these kinds of moments, and they would have been prepared and served around some kind of table. Laughter and stories would have been shared around a table. Cakes and candles and songs and streamers would have happened around a table. And tears and heartaches and fears shared. And hopes and dreams and prayers and more stories and more laughter and more games would have been shared around millions of tables and millions of homes, but they weren't this year. A table, you know, it's just, it's such an ordinary thing. We don't give it a whole lot of thought, and yet tables are at the very heart of so much of our connecting with one another. They're at the very center of so much of our relationship. We, we don't even notice it most of the time, but tables are this place where we encounter a, a profound and messy blending together of the holy and the human. And more than any other gospel writer, Luke emphasizes this. He tells us story after story of Jesus at messy, holy tables. And one of the first stories he tells us about uh, tells us about is one that we just heard a moment ago from Luke chapter 5. Jesus invites a tax collector to become one of his disciples. And what is Levi's response? Well, a table. Levi throws a huge party and invites all of his friends and, yeah, his corrupt colleagues and, of course, Jesus, who apparently accepts with some enthusiasm. And it's a little scandalous to some in his community because tables are powerful symbols. They evoke connection and belonging, and people start wondering about who exactly Jesus belongs to the saints, or the sinners. But Jesus sees it a little bit differently. He shows up to tables to help other people discover who they belong to, a life-giving, transformational God. Jesus is redeeming tables. It's a big part of what he does. And from the very beginning, Luke starts laying out this pattern. He tells us these stories about Jesus who never hesitated to show up for a good time at someone's home with people gathered around and food being shared and stories told. 
Now, this particular event over at Levi's house, there was a whole lot of that going around. There were people and food and stories and laughter. You see, this wasn't just some nice, polite little dinner party. This was a great banquet with a large crowd, Luke writes. So picture that for a moment. Imagine some ancient version of a huge office party or maybe a big block party. Levi didn't invite Jesus over to a quiet dinner with five or six guests. This was a great banquet with a large crowd. And you probably kind of know how some of those events can go, right? There's all kinds of food and everyone has a cup of something in their hand as they're mingling around. And there are groups of people telling different stories in different corners of the house. Some are gathered around the island in the kitchen. Some are out in the living room. There are others who are outside watching the kids play, maybe talking about the challenges of parenting or talking about what's going on at work. There is noise and commotion and joy and story and food and maybe a bit too much wine going around, but everyone is having a great time together. And this is one of the early stories about Jesus and his disciples and Luke. It kind of reminds me of the way that the Gospel of John starts by telling us about the time when Jesus went to a wedding in Cana and everyone had such a great time and stayed a little too long that the wine finally ran out. And so to keep the celebrating going, Jesus turns water into wine. Apparently, According to the scriptures, Jesus was much more than just a teacher and a miracle worker. He did more than pray and preach and heal and die on a cross. In fact, if, if all you have in your mind of Jesus is kind of a somber, somber teacher, then you've probably developed a really flattened image of Jesus because Jesus also was known to go to parties. He did it again and again, the Gospels tell us, and especially the Gospel of Luke. Jesus goes to a party. Jesus is at a table. There's food and drink being shared. And with that, stories and friendship and discovery and joy. That's what happens around tables. And throughout the Gospel of Luke, it's happening, the holy and the human are coming together around tables. This simple, ordinary object that's found in most homes throughout our world. Well, another one of those moments we heard about in Luke 7. This time, it is a little bit smaller event, more like a dinner party. It wasn't exactly the kind of thing that was just wide open to anyone. This was by invite only. So, when a disheveled woman used and abused by her city, sneaks in among the servants and makes her way up to Jesus' feet and begins to anoint them with her tears. It's pretty disrupting to the evening. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first read this story and, and how Simon the Pharisee is acting, my first instinct is to think that Simon the Pharisee is kind of a cold-hearted, pompous jerk, Right? Instead of welcoming this woman who's obviously in need and who has suffered so much at the hands of 
who knows how many men. Simon's just annoyed at this woman for being there, and he's kind of frustrated with Jesus at just sort of letting these antics take place. Simon should have been more compassionate and more welcoming like Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's the easiest way to read this because it kind of lets us get off the hook. Only if I'm honest with myself, I probably would have been a whole lot more like Simon in this story than Jesus. You see what this woman is doing It really is kind of awkward. It's a spectacle. It's disruptive. And it's even a little bit risque for the time. She was making a mess of of what was supposed to be a really lovely meal and this stimulating conversation. Simon's invited this local rabbi over. And, you know, any good host at this moment would be trying to figure out how do I get rid of her and save the evening? Or at least that's what I kind of imagine I probably would have been doing. I mean, if this woman, if she had just knocked at the door or if she just pulled Jesus aside or waited until the evening was over, that would have been one thing, right? But part of what makes the whole scene so incredibly uncomfortable for Simon and everyone else there and for us is that it happened when Simon and his guests, including Jesus, were where? gathered around a table together. It's part of what makes it both uncomfortable, but also a really powerful moment. When you're at someone's table, you've stepped into a more intimate place in their life, haven't you? When you're at the table together, there's kind of this equalizing and connecting force that happens And that's still true today. When you're welcomed to sit at someone's table with them, there is this really subtle and unconscious but yet powerful dynamic of belonging. And it's that experience of belonging and connecting that has gospel power to heal and to redeem and to create great joy. I mean, I wonder if you've ever thought about that before, how powerful it could actually be to invite someone to your table. It may be that you're not sure you're a good enough cook or that you have enough space. It might be that there are all kinds of voices telling you why no one would come or why the whole thing is a bad idea and bound to be a mess of an evening. And, and I don't know, maybe some of those things are true. But here's what I do know. Each of us have the power to bless other people in some really meaningful ways simply by sharing a table with them. You know, it, it doesn't even have to be a full cooked banquet meal. It could just be coffee and desserts and stories for an evening. It could just be game night and snacks. But one way or another, bringing people together around a table can be one of the most healing things we can do because it's in those moments that people discover we belong. We belong. Simon, of course, doesn't exactly want this woman to belong. He doesn't really want her to be associated with him, and he's pretty sure Jesus should know that. Only when it comes to Jesus... Everyone belongs. 
whether they are corrupt tax collectors or pompous Pharisees or down-and-out sinners who can't seem to get their life together. Jesus meets them at the table because at the table there is this messy blending of the human and the holy, and it's there in that place where we often discover we not only belong to one another, we belong to a life-giving, transformational God. It's one of the great themes of the Gospel of Luke. See, these two stories are really just the beginning of it in Luke. We'll hear about it some more next week and even beyond that as we continue to move through the Gospel of Luke over the next couple months. And along the way, we will discover that it is in Luke that we hear the story of the prodigal son who comes home and whose father does what? Throws him a big party, a banquet. And it's only in Luke that we hear the story of Zacchaeus, another tax collector that is profoundly changed when Jesus says, I want to come over to your house for the evening. And it's only in the Gospel of Luke that the resurrected Jesus is recognized for the very first time at a dinner table, that table in Emmaus where two disciples and a stranger sat down for a meal. And then after that, it's only in Luke when that same resurrected Jesus later appears to all the gathered disciples for the first time. And in that moment, he asks them, do you have anything to eat? (laughs) Some of the most important moments in the Gospels take place around the table. You know, if you started to thinking about it, I bet you might notice that some of the most important moments in your life have two Some of the most normal, everyday, holy moments have happened and will happen around a table. Which is why I've been thinking this week that some of the moments that we have missed the most, that have been some of the greatest losses during this pandemic, would have happened around a table. So when this whole thing begins to fade, and hopefully that'll be later this year, right? I think we need to make gathering around tables our top spiritual practice as a congregation. See, there's going to be an awful lot of work for us to do together to restart some of our ministry and restart our life together, and I've been thinking a lot about how we will do that and where We will need to put our energy as a church. And the answer I keep coming back to is that the table is the key. And it's going to take all of us gathering around tables with one another and with other people in our community, all mingling together, sharing stories and food and joy, discovering that together we belong to a life-giving, transformational God. That's what I'm going to ask of you on the other side of the pandemic. So I want to invite you to just start picturing that now. I know we're still months away from it, but come this summer when more of us are vaccinated and the weather starts warming up and we can be outside, I, I wonder if we might be more intentional than ever, making it our top priority to gather around tables 
Whether that's meeting for happy hour or for picnics or patio game nights. And then as we get towards the end of the summer and we start preparing for the next school year, my challenge for us will be to make a commitment to the practice of meeting one another around ordinary, holy tables. It might be that we commit to hosting people in our homes once a month. Maybe it'll be the same group of people. Maybe it'll be committing to inviting somebody new into our home each month. It might be joining supper clubs next fall. It might mean all kinds of things. I don't know, but one way or another, my challenge to us will be to commit to a year of making tables our central spiritual practice as a congregation. Because I think that if we do that, we will become more and more like the one who is himself, the blending of the holy and the human. Amen.